Chapter 17, Sobering Up. This is a Buddhist parable. Quote, A man went to see his wife, who was staying with her family. It happened she was hauling rice. He stole a handful of the, of the rice and thrust it into his mouth. Just then, his wife saw him and asked him about something. Since his mouth was full, he couldn't say a word. He would not spit out the rice for fear his wife would make fun of him, so he kept quiet. Puzzled by his silence, his wife touched his mouth and thought it was swollen. She then told her father, My husband has just come. His mouth has suddenly become swollen. He can't speak. The father-in-law immediately called the doctor, who declared upon examination, It is definitely some serious illness. An operation is required to cure it. The doctor then used a knife to cut open the mouth, whereupon the rice spilled from the wound. End quote. Two men turn up, both security staff from the campus. One is older, wearing what looks like a gigantic red tea cosy and a nondescript dark clothing. He looks mean and he has a notepad. The other is younger, Kajia. He stands behind the other, checking everyone out. He's wearing a dark trench coat and is quiet for the first 15 minutes. They stare at me. They begin what is translated to me as the examination of my story. I wasn't ready for this, particularly given the way my head throbbed with the echo of booze. I'd woken up after our work unit New Year's Eve party, worse for wear, and a cold that zapped me in the last couple of days. So I went to work to help clean up after the party and realised that my camera had been stolen. I just stared like a catatonic for an hour, then informed the office girl that I wanted to call the police just so I could make an insurance claim. I made it clear I just needed a routine written report filed so I could get a copy and then I explained how the insurance claim worked. I explained it twice actually, just to be sure. She didn't want me to call the police, but I insisted. It's just a report, I smiled. She sighed. She knew better, but I was too ignorant to know. The office call did eventually call the police. I think she was amused that I was so upset because I guess I'm a rich foreign teacher and surely this couldn't mean so much. I tried to explain that the camera did have sentimental value, but this didn't seem to dull her amusement. I got that vibe. Being new to the place, to my work colleagues, I really wasn't sure, actually. I have nothing to judge anything from. Is a smile even really actually a smile? When she got through to the police, they let us know at first that campus security had to come and talk to us and then they, the campus police, should call the city police only if required. Campus security did arrive. Of course, I can't be sure of the exchange. I watched as my boss and her assistant responded in volumes of Chinese, but the gist was that they wanted to know the people in the room, the exact last location of the camera and the time I left the party. We gave them that information. Then they wanted to see the room. They looked at the room. They questioned why I'd leave the camera on a table where everyone could pick it up and leave. I said to the office girl, translate this for me. It was a fucking busy. And the fact is that the thing is fucking gone and I'm not going to justify my stupidity. She paused, smiled and giggled and flushed red. Her translation seemed much longer and much more reasonable than my remark. I was beginning to wonder if anything I said was ever translated properly. Right images, wrong subtitles. 
my feelings mashed up and reinterpreted and lost. They asked me if there's anything with the camera and I said, controlled, aloof, yeah, some gloves and small items and another camera. He then asked, what size and colour were the gloves and how many pairs were there? I let my, fall, my head fall against the wall and started using my hand saying, how the hell should I know? You can imagine the rest. This went on for 30 minutes in total and made me feel even worse and even more stupid for leaving the camera lying around. I buried a silent rage deep inside me. There was no other way to stay calm. Words had clearly failed. I asked the office girl when the guys left what would happen now and she said, they'll probably interview everyone who was in the room. She giggled again. I wanted to slap her, but of course I didn't. Of course, I had to be understanding and patient. Of course, understand the cultural context, etc., etc. But I did really think about it. I'd never really felt like slapping anyone before, at least not as an adult. I was not an angry person. No one at home would describe me that way. What was happening to me? Later, I saw the boss and said sorry for getting so angry, and he was fine. He thought it was funny. I was glad someone could see the humour of it. He said, I understand. We all go through this. I spent the rest of the day moping and sulking and feeling isolated. I tried to remember why I had decided to come to, to China in the first place, hoping this would comfort me, but the reason seemed fuzzy and unclear. What I didn't realise was the effect that this would have on my relationships with everyone else in that room. Later, the two security staff would interview everyone who was in the room, as she said. They were called and visited at their homes and at their work. All of them were cross-examined like they were thieves. Was this all punishment by God for the comments I'd made to the Christian ladies on Christmas Day? Chapter 18. Tough Love. Quote, Putonghua, literally translated as common speech, the variety chosen as a standard for the whole of China and widely promulgated under, his na under this name after the establishment of the People's Republic of China in 1949. It embodies the pronunciation of Beijing, the grammar of the Mandarin dialects and the vocabulary of colloquial Chinese li literature. Pinyin, which is the phonetic spelling, after several previous attempts to write Chinese using the letters of the Roman alphabet, this 58-symbol writing system was finally adopted in 1958. Its main aims are to facilitate the spread of Putonghua and the learning of Chinese characters. Pinyin is now in widespread use. End quote. I miss cheese, fresh salad, olives, ground coffee, being able to read a menu, chicken salad, a good sandwich, breakfast cereal, real milk. The list goes on. I would bore you with the details. As I write this, I sip at a miserable cup of packet coffee. But then there was a knock at my door, and Eve, that organiser of the radio and television school party, the girl with the amazing smile, was standing at my door. I hadn't even had the chance to call her yet, and there she was on my doorstep. Ordinarily, I would have seen this as an extraordinary dose of fantastic luck, but not that, not that day. She'd interrupted my misery my reflections on what I was missing. I was planning to throw it into a melan melancholy email home to someone. I really didn't want to be disturbed. I wanted that day just to go home for a day or two to have a rest from China and come back with more energy. I just wanted to turn on the TV and see English, 
see images I recognised, even understand advertisements, for goodness sake. I wanted something familiar to hold on to, even if it was just brief. As she slipped in between me and the door, she seemed to notice I was down. When she asked why I was so quiet, I told her I was feeling homesick and she said, well, maybe you should have thought about that before you decided to come to China. A little stunned by such bluntness, I disappeared into the kitchen to start boiling some water for tea and collect my thoughts. I felt her eyes follow me out of the room. I came back juggling two hot mugs of tea and she looked at me directly something I wasn't used to from Chinese people so far, especially women. I stirred my tea, trying to force the leaves to sink so I didn't get too many caught in my teeth, and she broke the silence with, you need to be familiar with China. I nodded and did my best to plaster some sort of smile on my face and answered, I'm trying, but it's a bit of a shock sometimes. She sipped at her tea for the first time, running her tongue quickly over her teeth to check for stuck tea leaves. I said, Sometimes it feels, it it all feels so different. It's hard. It's hard to get used to. She responded with, you must work hard, you must try. I knew she was trying to help, I, I guessed, but it didn't feel like the kind ear I was after. It felt like she was actually talking down to me, but again, I was in the dark, not sure about these interactions. I was again lost in something new. Look, I began, wanting to sound more assertive. It's great to be here most of the time. I like it so far. But it's so different. It's a different world. And that can be hard. I was even laughed at for being angry about having a camera stolen. She asked about the camera incident and I gave her a quick summary before she said softly, The office girl probably was laughing because she was embarrassed. Chinese people laugh for many reasons. We have different styles of laughter. It's not usual to be angry like that for us Chinese. A silence settled between us. She'd started to spin my view of things around a little. Understanding sometimes doesn't make things feel any better, though. And knowing in the head doesn't always change the heart. They aren't the same thing. She played with her teacup a little. A small drop of water splashed out and fanned across the table and she asked... What's the hardest thing about coming to China? And I let my eyes float around in the tea leaves for a while and I said, I guess the language, it's so hard to learn. She nodded and looked around my flat. This is a good flat. You have good heating. It has good facilities. Maybe if you learn Chinese, it'll help. You should know Chinese. And she ordered me to go and get a notepad and pen so she could start teaching me right there. I hesitated to go and she told me again to get the stationery. Her voice was staccato and brittle, but she gave me that smile. Back in the living room with the material, she pulled the notepad from me and started writing some characters and then translated them into pinyin. I still didn't quite comprehend pinyin, which seemed not to represent the sounds properly at all, presenting yet another barrier to foreigners trying to cope with the language. I pulled the the book back from her and wrote my own phonetic scribble underneath the pinyin so that I could understand what I was looking at, and she said, you know, that's not correct. You must learn the pinyin. Everything must follow a proper system. But she was kind enough to not scribble out my notes. She stayed for an hour, scribbling down and making me practice some phrases. When I seemed to have the phrases the same way she did, it seemed abhorrent and totally wrong to her. 
I would say things 10 times over and over and they all sounded the same to me. But there will be one version that must have been the right one and she would smile. Yes, that's it. But I could never tell which one was right. I had to ask her to leave eventually, saying I needed a rest. I did need sleep and to try and search for TV or something in English. As she left, curiously, she gave me a small photo album. I wanted to show you some pictures of me. You keep them and have a look. I'll get them next time. Bye-bye. I gave her my, my phone number and she smiled and messaged me hers and she started walking down the stairs. As she did, I flicked through the album absentmindedly as I went to the bedroom and noticed there were several photos of Eve with a white guy. Why would she give me this? Is language really the biggest barrier between people? 